Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here it is. Well, good morning again. Um, I want to begin by reading a quote that I read this week that really struck me. And I'm going to read it slow because it's a little heavier. This is John Stott. He says, we need to repent of the haughty way in which we sometimes stand in judgment upon Scripture. We must learn to sit humbly under its judgments instead. If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's, then indeed he will not speak to us and we shall only be confirmed in our own prejudice. We must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. There's a lot there. Um, But Stott is basically saying that a lot of times we come to Scripture to confirm what we already think about it. And we resist being open to the conviction and challenge that God wants to bring to us through his word. I'm very thankful for this 40-day journey we've been on as a church. I don't know, maybe you haven't even engaged yet or haven't begun. Tomorrow we begin day 13. If you haven't started, jump in tomorrow. I've been just really encouraged reading people's reflections. And just um, when I read this quote this week, it summed up a lot of how I've experienced the 40-day journey, and specifically reflecting on Scripture. That last line of the quote really resonates with me. We must allow the Word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. I feel like God has been doing that in my life as I've been reflecting on these scriptures and just a lot of my thought life, some behaviors, the way I'm approaching things. God's just been using his word to kind of confront and challenge me. When Pastor Dave told me I could preach on anything I wanted to this Sunday, you think that would be easier, but sometimes that's harder. I almost rather have someone assign me a passage. This is a big book we have here. There's a lot that can be said. And I've had a few passages on my heart recently that I wanted to preach, but I didn't feel led to tackle those uh, this Sunday. I really wanted to be open to God. God, what do you want our church to hear this week? And I felt led to this text in Ephesians 4, because it really connects with some of the things that God's been doing in my life through this 40-day journey, and really some of the things I feel that he wants to say to us as a church. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. In this part of Paul's letter, it starts out with a sober reminder of the reality of the world we live in. And then it moves on to what should be happening in the life of a person who is following Jesus. So the passage breaks up nicely into two main sections. The first on the old life centered in the world, and the second on the new life centered in the in Christ. And I just want to pray for us before I read the passage. So let's pray. God, I, I do really pray right now for an openness to you and your word, uh, that we would lay aside our prejudices and 
what we think about life and be open to what you have to say to us through your scripture. Um, God, I really believe this passage is meant for us and you want to say something specifically to us this morning. Uh, So I really just put my confidence in you right now and we just pray this together in Christ's name. So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, you can follow along with the slides. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ... And we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this morning, I just want to walk through the passage, just kind of verse by verse. And so we'll start in verse 17 again. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. There's a lot of strong language in this passage. I think it would be easy to kind of miss this first phrase in verse 17. Paul says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the, in the Lord. Through these words, I believe Paul is screaming out, pay attention. I believe if he was with the Ephesian believers, he would have pulled out a megaphone and would scream into it, you have to listen to what I'm about to tell you. You can't miss this or ignore it. And I implore you in the name of the Lord to do so. And I believe for Paul, this is a very personal and heartfelt plea to the believers. Paul really cares about these people, and because he cares about them, he wasn't afraid to talk about hard things. He was motivated out of his concern for their well-being. And he's about to tell the believers that you can't be ignorant of the world we live in and the old life you came from. We can't be ignorant I was reflecting on this this week, the tension that exists between ignorance and embracing reality and truth. When I bring my car into the auto shop, I so desperately want to hear the words, it was just an oil change, everything else looks good, you're all set, ready to go. And even if there is a major problem with my car, part of me wants it to go undetected so I don't have to deal with it, and I don't have to shell out the money to get it fixed. When you go to the doctor for an annual checkup or you bring your child in for a routine exam, every part of you desires that they don't find anything wrong. That's just normal for everybody. And maybe if you're like me, it's tempting to stay ignorant and have to face that something 
is wrong. There's a tension between desiring ignorance and facing reality or truth. But our ignorance only offers temporary relief. And eventually, the truth will be revealed. Whether there's a problem with our car or there's something wrong with our health. Ignorance is only a short-term cover. Truth always wins out. And this is at the heart of what Paul is sharing with the believers. We have to face the reality of the world we live in. I believe this passage was a wake-up call to the church back then. I believe it's a wake-up call for us today. And Paul is going to pull no punches as he writes this letter. Go back to verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Then he goes on to say, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of an impurity, and they are full of greed. I'm married to a woman whose daily routine involves watching the 10 o'clock news at night. I appreciate that Yvonne wants to be an informed citizen in this global world, but I find the news to be so terribly depressing. I mean, the murders, the sexual abuse, the hatred, the politics, every night it's the same stories over and over again. I don't know how anyone can watch the news every day and think everything is okay in this world. What, is true, what was true back then for Paul is still true for us today. We live in a dark, futile, and perverse world. Let's not sugar thing, sugarcoat things and pretend that everything is okay. And if I'm being brutally honest, I don't want to hear about these problems anymore. I just want to watch the sports at 1025 and pretend everything is okay. I know I'm a shallow person. But in my flesh, I would rather be ignorant. But God is calling us through his word that we can't be ignorant. We can't be unaware of the world we live in. And as Paul talks about this old life, the life in the world that's separated from the life of God, it's important to note the significance that Paul places on the mind. Paul talks about the world as being futile in their thinking, darkened in their understanding, and ignorant. These are all phrases that deal with the mind and how one thinks. The mind is an important battleground between the old and new life. And if we look back at verse 18, there's a sequence or a process that Paul lays out for how the old life develops in a person. And it all begins with the hardening of a person's heart. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. In the original language, this phrase, hardening of hearts, connects to a medical term 
that refers to a callus. And I'm not a doctor, but my understanding is that calluses don't happen instantaneously. They often develop over a period of time. Like for a guitar player, after hours of practicing, they develop calluses on their fingers. I'm not saying guitar players are evil, just to clarify that. But a heart becomes calloused and hard to the things of God over time by repeatedly resisting what is good and what is true and what God has revealed to them. Then Paul says a hardness of heart then leads to spiritual ignorance and darkness in their understanding. A person's mind becomes clouded to the truth of God. And then they are alienated from the life of God. There's a deadness in their soul. And the final expression of this process of life in the world is a loss of all sensitivity, which leads to a license to behave in whatever manner you want. And Paul here refers to the extreme recklessness and sexual behavior and all kinds of impurity that's rooted in greed. Hey, this is not fun stuff to talk about, but this is the curse of sin. This is the effect it has on humanity and how it takes shape in our world. And Paul is reminding the believers this is the world we live in. And this is the old life we came from. We have to be alert and we have to be on guard. We can't be ignorant to how easily we can be swayed by the world back into the ways of the old life. And I just want to give kind of two practical encouragements based on this first section in the passage. First, if there are elements of these verses that you can connect with and kind of describe your life, like if you sense your heart is growing more hard to God, or there's a growing deadness in your soul, this might be a much-needed wake-up call for you this morning. And it's going to be sobering for you to have to admit it, but you are not okay spiritually. And I just want to encourage you, if there's any inkling or stirring right now that this could be you, please, don't ignore it. I would encourage you to reach out to someone you trust, uh, maybe someone here today, and just ask if you can sit down with them and if they would just hear, hear you out. Let you kind of describe your spiritual life and just pray with you and listen to you. I know there are many people in our church who would be happy to do this. Any of the pastors would be happy to sit down with you. But we cannot ignore this. If there's a growing deadness in our souls and a hardness to God. The second encouragement I want to give is that this should give us great compassion for those who do not know Christ. As Paul talks about the people in this world, he's not doing it in arrogance or I'm better than you attitude. If you read the New Testament, you can't question Paul's heart for people who do not know Christ. He put his life on the line time and time again. He suffered. He was in prison. 
He paid the price for trying to reach people who are far from God. If you think a passage like this gives us permission to be arrogant or to boast over those in the world, you miss the point. And you miss the heart of the gospel. Because we all were blind. We all were alienated from God before Christ. These verses describe us in our life before we met Jesus and before God rescued us from a life of darkness and spiritual ignorance. And we can't expect those in the world, those in the old life, who don't know Christ, to act like God wants. It's a false expectation for us. They are spiritually blind, and they're darkened to what is true and good, and they need the Holy Spirit to open their eyes, just like we did. Again, I believe a passage like this should give us great compassion, unbelievable compassion for those in the world, those that we love who do not know Jesus. As we move to the second half of the passage, Paul is about to point out the radical, the tremendous, distinct difference between the life centered in the world and the life centered in Christ. And verse 20 is kind of the key transition verse, and it's very simple. Paul says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned. Such a simple statement but packed with such hope. All this, the old life, is not you anymore. And Paul is about to tell us why. He's about to tell us that Jesus Christ has made all the difference between the old life and the new life. Verse 21, when you heard about Christ, when you were taught in him in accordance with the truth, that is in Jesus. Let me unpack this for us, because Jesus here is referenced three times in the single verse. The first phrase is, you heard about Christ. Christ is the substance of the teaching of this new life that the Ephesian believers heard about. Paul is talking not only about what Christ has done for us, but also the standards and the values of the kingdom rule of Christ that has begun in the believer's lives. The second phrase, you were taught in him. Paul is saying that Christ is the teacher. It's through the voice of Christ that you have learned about this new life about Jesus. And the final phrase, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. That's a little harder. Uh, I had to read some commentaries to kind of really get the sense here. But it's basically saying that Christ is the context of all this teaching and all your learning. Or another way to put it, put it is that Jesus is the embodiment of all truth. Paul is basically saying that this speaks about the new life, the new creation that is available through Jesus. The shackles of this world can only be broken through the life-changing power of Christ in a person's life. And when a person encounters Jesus, it's not a minor incremental change. 
It is identity changing. It's a new status, a new personhood has begun. And I came across an example of this this week. Jerry Bridges, he's a smart guy, famous Christian author, and he illustrates the difference between the old and new identity um, through a story about a Russian pilot during the Cold War era. And I just want to read it because he's just smarter than me and I don't want to try to reproduce what he said. But he says, During the long years of the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union, a Russian Air Force pilot flew his fighter plane from a base in Russia to American Air Force Base in Japan and asked for asylum. He was flown to the United States where he was duly debriefed, given a new identity, and set up as a bona fide resident of the United States. In due time, he became an American citizen. The Russian pilot's experience illustrates to some degree what happened to us when we died to sin and were made alive to God. He changed kingdoms. He was given a new identity and a new status. He was no longer a Russian. He was now American. He was no longer under the rule of what was then an oppressive and totalitarian government. Now he was free to experience all of the advantages and resources of living in a free and prosperous country. Bridges goes on to explain that the Russian pilot still had the same personality. He had old habits. He had old cultural patterns. But immediately he had a new identity and a new status and a new sense of belonging. A new life had begun for him with an opportunity to grow as a free person, no longer under bondage or oppression. But it would require for him to learn how to live under a new life and to put off the pattern of the old life. I think this illustrates fairly well what happens when we come to Christ We are no longer under the rule or bondage of the old life. The new creation, the new life in Christ is ours immediately. But it doesn't mean that the challenge and the temptation of the old life will ever go away. And this is what Paul is about to address for us. In verse 22, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Paul is reminding them of something that he had already told them before. This is not new. They have already heard that their old self is done with. But for Paul, it's worth repeating because he knows how easily they would forget and how easily we would forget that we need to put off the behaviors of the old self that we play an active role in fighting off sin. And he's reminding them that so many of the desires of the old self are tainted with lies. You know, related to all this, one of the things I think that God has really been pressing on me during this 40 days is just a greater sensitivity to sin, a greater sensitivity to the elements of the old life that still exist in me. You know, I've had an ongoing battle with a creature in our backyard. 
So I snapped this uh, early one morning. This has been going on for oh, probably over a month. Uh, he's been roaming the neighborhood. I've seen him eating berries in our yard. I've picked up his droppings, and we've certainly smelt him from time to time. I swear one night the smell was so bad, I was convinced he was in our house somewhere. I was searching in the, ground, the garage and the basement. I was getting ready to kind of encounter him. And as a man, this guy really riles me up. Because my home is kind of my territory, my domain, my dominion, and he is threatening the integrity of my environment. And so I'm usually a very compassionate guy towards animals, but not this guy whatsoever. I saw a dead skunk on the road last week, and I thought it was him. And I was so happy, I was celebrating, and then the next night... Smelled him again, so he's still around. I mean, he is a nuisance, and I want him out of our lives. When I think about Ephesians 4, I think about this skunk, and I think about sin. I wonder if we have given sin too much compassion in our lives. Like we're okay with sin hanging out for a little bit from time to time. And I think as we continue to grow in Christ in the new creation life, like this skunk, sin will have a reeking odor in our lives. And we won't be able to stand it. My prayer for us is that we would have absolutely no compassion to sin in our lives. That the odor of the old life would become so unpleasant to us We'd be so sensitive to sin that it would have a bitter taste to us. As we experience more and more the sweetness of the new creation life in Jesus. In the next verse, Paul is again going to remind us of the importance that the mind plays. Not only in the old life, but now in the new life. In verse 23, he says, To be made new in the attitude of your minds. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. We have to be aware that every single day we are bombarded with things from this world that reek of the old life. Distortions on how to view the world. False claims on what is most important. Lures to life lived For yourself. We don't live in a neutral world. We can't let the the views from the world go unfiltered in our minds. What you think about matters. The dwelling of your thoughts influences the way you live, the way you behave. Our minds need a continual renewal from God on what is true. I think an interesting exercise this week would be to stop for a few moments after you encounter an advertisement, whether it's when you're driving or commuting on the train or an ad on Facebook or a TV commercial, and to spend a moment and think about what is this ad trying to tell me about how to view the world? What is being valued or promised here? 
What is this ad trying to make me think and feel? And spend a few moments of reflection on that. And then as you think about those questions, think about your understanding of Scripture and how these thoughts and feelings line up with the Word of God. One step for us in the renewal of our mind is to understand the messages from this world that so easily assault our minds and to not let them go unfiltered. And then another step is to allow the Word of God to combat and to retrain us in how to think according to the new life. The last verse in this passage, verse 24. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's an amazing verse. I want to read it again. To put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God wants us to be like himself. As I read this verse this week, I had this crazy image. I had this image of the Trinity hanging out in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as Paul is writing the words of these letters, this letter, and this verse specifically, the Trinity is up there like high-fiving one another, fist-bumping each other, saying, Booyah! I know it's crazy. It probably didn't happen. But I think God is so excited when we begin to believe that he's created us to be like himself. It's such a crazy truth. I think we have a hard time accepting and believing this. And Paul is saying, this is who you are now. You are created to be like God and doing what is right and becoming holy. This is not to say you're going to be perfect in all you do, but this is your identity now. Your destined path is to grow in holiness and godliness. And Paul is telling the Ephesians and us, it's time to start living like this. We're created to be like God in holiness and righteousness. And I think one of the biggest challenges for us is I think we have a growing stigma with the idea of being holy. I, I mean, I, I think I struggle with this my, myself. We are so afraid of being labeled a holier-than-thou person that we almost get embarrassed or ashamed to talk about growing in holiness. And I just want to point out, I think there's a huge difference between being an arrogant self-righteous, you fill in the blank, versus being a humble person who wants to please God in growing in holiness. And I think when we allow the stigma of not wanting to be a holier-than-thou person, we're letting our perception of how others view us and pleasing people drive us instead of truly wanting to please and honor God. This morning, I feel very compelled to remind us that God wants us to grow in holiness and to become more like him. 
And there's no doubt about it. It's not a work that we do in ourselves. It's a work that the Holy Spirit does in us as we surrender to him. But the desire to grow in holiness is a good thing. And it should be a normative part of the way we're living in the new creation life. Okay, I'm coming to a close. I want to remind us the world we live in and the old life we came from are powerful forces. There's no doubt about it. But the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ is far greater. And we are not powerless victims in this world, but we are more than conquerors because of the new life and the new identity that has been purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. And Paul's plea to the church of Ephesus and his plea to us today is to start to live the new life, to put off the old self, to let your mind be renewed, and to grow in holiness and righteousness, becoming more like the character of our great God. I want to conclude by coming full circle and reading the quote again that I read at the beginning from John Stott. We need to repent of the haughty way in which we sometimes stand in judgment upon Scripture. We must learn to sit humbly under its judgments instead. If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's, then indeed he will not speak to us. And we shall only be confirmed in our own prejudice. We must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. So my question to us is, how will you respond to the word of God today? Will you let the word of God confront you? Will you let it disturb your security? Will you let it challenge your complacency, which is a great temptation in our world today? And will you let it overthrow the patterns of thoughts and behaviors that you maybe have accepted as normal now? Before I pray and close this, I just want to read the passage one more time for us and really just invite you into a posture of prayer and reflection as I read the Word of God one more time. For us. And then I'll pray. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality 
so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God, we come right now as your people. And God, we just confess just the reality that the temptation of the old life is so strong And we can so easily get blinded and misguided and misdirected in the way to live in this world. That's why, God, we're so thankful for your word. We're so so thankful for your sovereign truth that confronts us, that will not leave us unchallenged. And I pray this morning, God, that we would be a people that would pay attention to what you're trying to say to us right now. God, that you want to redirect our lives. That you want to remind us to put off the old self, which is just a dead way to live. And to be reminded that we are newly created because of the work of Jesus Christ. That the old things have truly passed away in us. We are made new through the redeeming work of Jesus. And so God, I pray that we would find hope this morning through this word to us. That we are called to be renewed in our mind and to become like you in holiness and righteousness. And that is only possible, God, through the work of your Holy Spirit. So we cry out together, God, we need your help. We need you to come and continue to work in us and change us to become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. But I pray, God, if there's anything in our lives that's not pleasing to you that you're pointing out right now, God, that you would lead us to repentance that we would come clean with you. Remember, God, that your grace is enough, that you forgive us, God, that you wash away our sin. So, God, I just pray that you would work right now, and even as we sing, God, that you just continue to lead us to yourself, and we pray this in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.